Well, I mentioned patterns. I mentioned things in history. Do you notice sometimes the fact that um, there are things that, while history I don't think repeats itself, there are times in history that we see sort of like patterns that happen, right? Patterns that happen. There's a little picture of our founding fathers signing a declaration of independence. I keep thinking how hard that must have been as they wrestled with the concept of do we gain independence as a nation? You realize that wasn't the hard part, right? Actually fighting a revolutionary war, but then actually trying to live out as a a nation, a nation of diverse views, a nation that is pluralistic, a nation that is committed to religious freedom, a nation that that, that is, is, began an experiment of democracy in the world that has influenced the world. The first part, signing the declaration, was probably the easy part. On Friday, I got to celebrate a wedding. It was an outdoor wedding, and I don't think they realized that the rain was coming, and I certainly realized the rain was coming. As I'm looking back, I'm thinking, the rain is coming. And as we started that wedding at 5 o'clock, I thought, um, it's a 100% chance of rain by 4.30. And Jesus in his grace has kept the rain away, but I am looking, I'm thinking, it is going to rain any minute. So uh, we kind of sped that along. We celebrated. It was a wonderful wedding. I really enjoyed being a part. But as I always remember... The wedding, even though it seemed like it was chaos, we're having to throw up tents at the last minute, we are trying to get everybody in their places, all, everybody, the songs, the music needs to cue at the right time, people need to come down the aisles at the right time. The wedding was the easy part. Now they begin the journey of marriage. Wonderful as it is, it can sometimes be a little, a little bumpy, it can sometimes be a little tricky, we all know. The same with church. We, a year ago, said God has called us to continue as Valley Baptist Church and to expand and to grow and be God's people in this place. But the truth of the matter is, living out that pattern can often be the struggle. Well, God's Word gives us very specific instructions. And as we've been walking through the book of Joshua, Joshua, we've seen how the people of God have come into the land that God has promised. They have fought battles. They have fought armies. They have conquered. They have expanded God's kingdom into this promised land. They have brought, in some ways, God's judgment. And they've also seen His grace and His provision. We've watched God move and fulfill the promises to the people of God. They were in their homes now. They were settling the land now. When we get to Joshua chapter 2, it seems like in some ways there's going to be a time of rest and peace. But as we all know from the patterns in this world, sometimes when we think it's time for rest, that's when some of those relational struggles pick up. Let's look today in Joshua chapter 22 at how God gives us some insights about how to deal with some problems uh, relationally that can pop up. It says, Then Joshua, the leader of God's people, summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You've done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything that I've commanded. Now let's stop there for a second. Let's stop there for a second. Who are these Reubenites, Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh? Remember that there were, for the Israelites, there were 12 tribes. Now, technically, one tribe was split in two, so it's kind of like 13. But there were the 12 tribes that we typically talk about. And as we think about these 12 tribes, they each ended up with their own territories in this promised land. They were not going to all live together. They were sort of like a confederation of over a million people. And this people of God, um, these different tribes, some of them two of the tribes and half of another tribe as they were coming to the promised land and went through this area east of the Jordan River were like, this land's pretty good. 
This land actually works really well for our herds, and, and, and we have a lot of sheep, and we have a lot of cattle. This land is pretty good. Could, could we just have this land? Would this be okay? And under Moses, God said, yes, they can stay, but their fighting men need to cross over. They need to help the fellow Israelites in the conquest of the land of Canaan, in the conquest of the promised land. So now that the battles are over, now that the land has been taken, the Gadites, the Reubenites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh are like, it's time for us to go back. And sure enough, Joshua says, you guys have done well. You've been faithful. You've kept your commitment. You can go home. Verse 3 is where we pick up. It says, for a long time now. It had been about seven years. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but you've carried out the mission that your, the Lord your God gave you. Now, verse 4, now that the Lord has given us rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. You see, they can go back. They can go back to their homes. They can go back to their families. It's been a while. They've been faithful. They hung in there. Now it's time for rest. Verse 9, so the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh in Cana and returned to Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. And here comes the key. Here comes the issue. Verse 10, when they came to Gileoth, near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. I don't think I found a picture of an imposing altar, but you know, there, there it is. It was a large stone structure. It was an altar made of stone, of uncut stone, that would emulate and look just like the stone altar that the people of God had built before the Ark of God, before the tabernacle where they were supposed to worship. They built their own altar. First of all, 11. And when the Israelites, the other tribes, heard that they had built that altar on the border of Canaan at Gileloth, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. I don't know if that surprises you, but that surprises me. For seven years, these people had been together, fighting side by side, colleagues, comrades in arms, following and finding God's promises. For seven years, they had struggled side by side in this conquest of Canaan. And now, they're about to have civil war and go to war against each other? Well, wait, wait, wait. Let me back that up a little farther. For 40 years, before the seven years of fighting together, for 40 years they had wandered in the wilderness as one people, seeing the manna of God fall each day. They had seen the presence of the Lord by fire each evening. They'd seen the cloud by day that God had guided them. For 47 years, these people had walked together. They had seen the miracles of God who brought them. Well, this group hadn't seen them bring it out of Egypt, but they'd heard the stories. They were one people. And now they're ready to go to war. Have you ever had the intense breakup 
Maybe it was a family disagreement, right? And we just don't really talk to them anymore. Or maybe it was in a church fellowship. Or maybe it was people that used to be your friends, but in the political climate of today, you just don't feel like you talk to that group or those people anymore. The people who had been friends and colleagues, just this separation had happened, this hatred had happened. This was happening amongst the people of God. Separation, conflict, and honestly, just downright hating one another almost. They're willing to go to war over this altar that was built? What was going on? What was happening? What was their motivation? There are questions we've got to ask, and the text will answer for us. But what I want you to see in this text is that at this moment in time, the people of God did the right thing. The people of God did the right thing. Look what it says. Um, Well, before you look, they talked first. Look what it says in verse 13. So the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar. Now, he's the high priest. They sent one of the leading priest guys, the ones who knows God's law, what's right and wrong. They sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh. And with him, they sent 10 of the chief men, one from each of the tribes of Israel. Let's send a delegation. Before we, before we send the troops, let's send a delegation. Let's talk first. And it says, of course, that when they came to Gilead, uh, they said to them, to the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? Now notice what they said. The whole assembly is asking the question. Okay, brothers and sisters, when it's a whole assembly question, it's a question that needs to be answered. When it's not a whole assembly question, don't say that it is. Wait, what what did I just say? There's a little application question. Have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? Well, you know, people are talking. Are people talking or is it just you? (laughs) That's always my question. Are people really talking or is it just you? Sometimes we like to give our own opinions a little more credence and we try to like, um, you know, a lot of the family's kind of really thinking, and maybe it's just you and one other guy. People at work, boss, are really kind of, and maybe it's just you. You know, if it's just you, it's okay. It's okay to give your opinion. It's okay to raise your question. But don't try to manipulate or influence. This situation was not that. It was the whole assembly. The people were truly concerned. That's why they sent representatives from all ten tribes, uh, the other ten tribes across the Jordan. They were all there trying to say, look, how could you break faith? And it goes on to say in verse 16, how could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion to him right now? Jesus, in Matthew 18, kind of says a very similar thing and gives us some similar instructions. He says, look, if your brother has done something wrong, or at least you think it's wrong, if your brother has sinned, you go and you point out their fault. You go and address it. You go and talk to them just between the two of you. You don't have to get everybody else involved. You don't need to gossip. You don't need to gather the troops. You don't need to go to war. Go to them between the two of you. If they listen to you, if they see their fault, if they know where they've done wrong, you've won them over. There's repentance, there's change, there's reconciliation. (laughs) But if they don't, maybe that's when you bring a couple of other people with you. One or two others along, Jesus says, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. What do we do? 
we bring somebody else. Now, I don't think what Jesus is saying is bring some other people that are on your team, right? Bring some gang up on them. In some ways, you're bringing someone else that you trust. Someone else that is an arbitrator. Someone else that can say, actually, Mike, you, you, you might be in the wrong. Maybe you're misinterpreting that. Maybe you're misreading that phrase. Maybe you, you, you've read something wrong, heard something wrong, interpreted their actions or their motivations in a wrong way. We need to have other people sometimes in those intense conflicts. Jesus gives us a very practical, very clear way to handle this. And the people of God in the time of Joshua were doing that very thing. They went, they showed the, it was, now this was a large conflict, so they brought representatives from each of the tribes so they could sit down and discuss it. The second thing they did that I want you to see this morning is they offered good reasons for their position. They explained why they were upset. They didn't just kind of give it an emotional appeal. They didn't just kind of just get angry, but instead they said, look, there's a reason why we're asking you. Why have you broken faith with Israel? It says, if you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he'll be angry with the whole community. It goes on, and skipping down to verse 20, it goes on to say, look, look what, don't you remember? And for us, it's pretty easy because we preached about it last week. Don't you remember Achan, son of Zerah, who was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things in that battle of uh, Jericho when he stole the devoted things? He said, did not the wrath come upon the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. His family also paid the price, but also the 30-plus men who in the battle of Ai lost their lives. The sin had consequences. God's wrath had come upon the whole community. You cannot rebel against the Lord in this way because it has consequences. Guys, we're upset not because your actions are not yours alone. I don't know about your family, but throughout the years, I've observed families that are different than mine, haven't you? I used to think my family was the only way that things happened. And my family, kind of, we don't always want to get in each other's business. Do you have one of those? It's kind of like, when I see something over there, it's like, oh, yeah, that's not good. Hmm. But, but we don't always, like, go get in people's business. I've seen other families that they're just like, all, oh, you know, they're quick to bring out and they're quick to discuss and they're quick to be in, in each other's uh, business. Sometimes I think my family has been a little bit too, too hesitant to speak up, too hesitant to realize that, well, those destructive things impact the whole family. Those destructive sins, as we talked about last week, can impact the whole community of God. I think what's interesting to them, they gave good reasons for why they were upset, and the reason here was it would impact the whole community. I told you a little bit ago that I was in a wedding on Friday. I always enjoy those. And premarital counseling, I usually do a little premarital counseling. I gotta be honest, I'm not sure premarital counseling's super, super helpful. It's kinda helpful. It's the postmarital counseling. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? It's like I didn't even know where the problems were gonna be in the marriage until I was actually in the marriage. Of course, mine was perfect because I got Vicky, but um, everybody else, I realize that often there's like struggles. <clears throat> Maybe we all have those kinds of struggles, right? I remember one of the key things we always try to talk about in premarital counseling, though, is having good, like, reasons that you offer. Trying to get to explanations about how a certain action by someone else, make, by your spouse, makes you feel, how it sort of impacts you. 
explaining the why something is hurtful or why you're upset. Giving the reasons becomes so important because so often when we're so upset, we're just upset. You always, you do this, you. How how is that making you feel? How is that causing problems in the marriage or in our relationships? We've got to talk first, and we need to be able to be clear about the reasons and how it impacts us. A third thing the people of God did that you might not notice when you read this story is they actually proposed a solution. They actually gave an option, and they gave a way out. I thought this was very interesting as I was thinking through this passage this week. It said, if the land, verse 19, is defiled... In other words, if this land that you said, we want to stay here, we want to stay on the east side of the Jordan, if for some reason being in that place is too hard for you, if it's too much of a temptation for you, if you can't seem to be faithful to God in that place because you're just away from your family, you're away from the other tribes, you're away from God's altar, you're away from the festivals, you're away from the feast days, and if this is too hard for you, it's okay. Come over to the Lord's land, they said, where the Lord's tabernacle said, share the land with you. There's, share the land with us. There's plenty of room. Don't rebel against the Lord or against us by building this altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. Here's a way out. Sometimes when we fight, sometimes when we argue, we kind of draw the line in the sand and we get sort of like, now you've done it. Now it's awful. Now we can never be in relationship again. Now it's, you know, and and there's no path to reconciliation. There's no path to compromise. There's no way. We begin to speak in absolute, it shuts down the relationship. It, it, It totally closes it off. The people of God here, the 10 tribes are like, guys, here's a solution. We're ready to go to war over this, but here's the deal. Here's a way out. You can just come back and live with us. You can come back and be right here. We will make sure you have plenty of space. We will make sure you have plenty of territory. We need to find that place of compromise. In finding the place of compromise, we have to find the place or places where you just can't go. I've actually got to figure out the places I can't compromise. Uh, We we can't allow you to worship other gods. That's going to destroy the people of God. We can't allow this to happen. That's a definite no. But then what are the places you're open to? Are you open to sharing the land? Are there other things that that's your compromise? Are there other things you might be open to? Are there other things where you can still do and be faithful in the way you know you're supposed to be, but also leave room for what other people need and have decided in their life. Where can both of us reside? It's an old theory. It's called getting to yes, right? The idea of getting to yes is to identify the values that are in you and the values in me, where they match up. Where, where, where is the overlap? Where can we compromise? The people of God came in, not only with their list of reasons, but with an option, with a way out for, to avoid the conflict. And the number four, which I think might have been something they should have done earlier, but in this story, it comes a little later, they actually listened. They listened to the Gadites and the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In verse 19, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Oh, this is in James chapter 1. James tells us, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Every one of us should be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and very slow to become angry. Maybe it just says slow to become angry, but maybe for me it's very slow. Sometimes I get too quick to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen? That's a little hard for me. I'm the pastor. I like preaching. I'm quick to speak. I, you want me to speak. But God has called us to be quick to listen. I've got to get enough room for the person to give their reasons, give their explanation, give their defense. And quite honestly, I'm the guy who wants to interrupt you. Are you that person too? You know, someone's giving their, they're, they're giving their reasons. They're wanting to talk. I interrupt. Do you interrupt? Did you, are you quick to kind of step in there and go, uh, well, let me go ahead and comment on that point. Well, let me go ahead and comment on that point. Well, let me go ahead and comment on quick to listen. I've got to listen. We all need to be quick to listen to one another. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Well, we see this pattern come out. Look at him. This is a little bit of a long passage, so get ready. Get ready to listen. The, then Reuben, verse 21, and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of, it, of the clans of Israel, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. And please let all of Israel know if this has been some kind of rebellion or disobedience against the Lord, don't spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or, or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did this in fear that someday your descendants, now this could be seen as blame, but I don't think it is, your descendants might say to our descendants, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? They go on to say, because the Lord has made the Jordan River a boundary between us and you, you Rubites and, and Gadites. That, that's what they're pretending you might, the, the descendants might say. You have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might, stop, might cause our descendants to stop fearing the Lord. You, you see their fear. They're afraid that the other tribes of Israel... Zebulun, Naphtali, Judah, Simeon, Benjamin... That they might say... We don't know you guys. You guys just stay on your side of the river. No, no, no. The, the worshiping the Lord is our deal. You, you guys stay away. Your descendants might say that. We're afraid of that. That's why we built this altar. And verse 27, it goes on. On the contrary, this altar we built is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow so that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary, not here, but at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, our sacrifices, and our fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. Going on to verse 28, and we said, if they ever say this to us or to our descendants, we will answer, well, look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our ancestors built, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. It was a long speech. It was an impassioned speech. It was a call us to account speech. It was, let me show you the motivations of our heart speech. It was, we have reasons too. This is why we did this speech. It was a very long explanation. And in wisdom, the ten tribes and Phineas the high priest listened. 
They listened. And it says, when Phinehas and the priests and the leaders of the community and the heads of the clans of Israelites heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had said, they were pleased. They were pleased. This satisfied them. There was a good reason. This wasn't the compromise they offered. The people did not move back to the west side of the Jordan. They stayed in their land. Their, their, their rationale for why they built this replica of the Lord's ar- altar satisfied these leaders. It was okay. They understood the heart. So often our conflicts happen because we fail to take the time to truly listen, to see what people's motivations are, to see why they did what they did, what was going on in their hearts and in their minds. Sometimes we fail to listen. Can I give you one last one? Here's something they did right that I think we forget to do so many times. They cleared up any possible rumors. They cleared up any possible rumors. You see the picture there, right? You know how these things go, right? Every morning this time of year, I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta get up early because I gotta make sure I wipe the, the dew off my car, right off the windows, right? Did, did yours do this? Yours does this, does this too. We, we, I, I put a towel in my trunk so that as I'm ready to go and, and to wipe it down because you can't drive like this, especially when I'm in a hurry. I'm like, oh, I can just go. No, you can't. We need to wipe it off or scrape the ice off or whatever we need to do. We've got to make sure we can see clearly. Here's what happens. We get upset. We get angry. We tell other people first before we go and deal with the person, before we listen, before we are quick to get the resolution. We get everybody else stirred up. We get everybody else involved. And then, once we do have reconciliation, we fail to make sure that everybody else knows that, hey, there's been reconciliation. It was my bad. I misunderstood. I didn't know what was going on. We don't do that. And so that we leave the possibility for other bad feelings, ill will, to, to, to well up amongst the people, amongst the family, amongst the church. Look what they did in Joshua. Phineas, and Eli- the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the leaders, they returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Gadites, Reubenites, and Gile- in Gilead, and they reported to the Israelites. They took it back to all of their tribes. They took it back to all of the people. They made sure everybody knew what had really happened. And it says in verse 38, or 33, that they were glad to hear the report. They all praised God, and they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites lived. They cleared it up. They cleared it up. Boy, if we spend as much energy trying to make sure things were good, that the relationships were good, that reconciliation was complete, if we spent as much energy emotionally and in prayer and in time as we do stirring up the trouble, I think we'd be a lot better off, wouldn't you? Well, what does this have to say to us as a church? What does it have to say to me personally? Well, you know, right? You already know. We are called to love one another. We're going to disagree. But we're called to make sure we're getting things right in our relationships. We're called to make sure that we're living in peace with one another as we go forward. And let's make sure we're clear on this. God has made us a people that bring about peace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talks about, he said, God has been reconciling the world to himself. 
not counting men's sins against them. And God has given to us a ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Well, I reconcile my checkbook. I think I'm one of the few people that still does it. You might still reconcile your checkbook. I still reconcile my checkbook. Right? It's an old skill. I don't know. We just let the computers do it. But I reconcile my checkbook each month. We, we reconcile. We make sure the numbers match. We also do that in our lives. We need to make sure we're back. We've got peace, that we, we've come to that place of, of harmony. We have a ministry of reconciliation. But let me be honest. In that passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about the ministry of reconciliation that is between God and man. That that relationship that is so foundational, that relationship that you were created for, you were created for, you were created for, we were created to know God, to have a relationship with God. God loves you so much and he created you. You were to be his and to belong to him. But that relationship is broken. For every single person, it's broken because we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have rebelled, we have walked away, and we are separated from God. But in his love for you, and his love for me, and his love for all humanity. God reconciled the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. But it wasn't like he just dismissed the sins. No, he put the sins on Jesus. He put the sins on the cross where Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and three days later rose again, having restored the relationship between God and man that we never, ever, 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 ever again have to worry, am I good enough for God? No, you're not. God has made you good enough because Jesus took away your sins. He's the one that brought us into fellowship with him. It is complete. It is permanent. You are part of the family. You have been reconciled. Have you been reconciled to Jesus? If you've not, maybe today. It's just, I mean, you, well, I, well, I went to church sometimes. I got baptized as a kid. I did this. I did this. None of that matters. Have you been reconciled to God? Have you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, be my Savior. Today might be somebody's day. You're sitting right here and you're like, it's me. Be reconciled to God. Jesus has already made the way. You just have to accept that gift. As a people, we're going to celebrate something that Jesus gave us to remind us that he is the way, that he is the reconciliation. We're going to celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper. You see, on the night Jesus was betrayed, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This morning, if you haven't received one of these and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we want you to have one and celebrate with us because we are going to take the bread that is on top and remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. If you ha don't have one, I want to slip up your hand. We have some in the right here close by. For all of us, let's remember the gift of Jesus, that his body was put upon the cross, that he died for us, that he paid a price. Take this bread and remember what Jesus has done.
Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us. The scripture tells us that in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink in remembrance of Jesus. Paul tells us that whenever you eat this bread and drink it from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My brothers, my sisters, we've been talking about reconciling in our relationships, in family and in church, but we also need to put just as much energy, if not more, in this great mission of God to reconcile the world to Jesus. Let's not only proclaim his death and his resurrection through the Lord's Supper. Let's proclaim his death and his resurrection every day in our words and in our lives. Today, we're going to sing a song, but it's also an invitation time. If you want to be a member of this church, you come on down and say, this is where I belong. Or, or, or maybe you're saying, you know, I'm that person. I have not made that decision to follow Jesus today. Maybe where you're watching online, just from where you are, or come on down. I would love to talk to you and pray with you about making a decision to follow Jesus today. Don't let this moment pass without Jesus being Lord of your life, without his forgiveness covering you. Let's pray.